Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our summer series titled, When God's People Pray. Being consistent in prayer is a struggle for many believers, yet the Bible makes it clear that the church should be called a house of prayer. Jesus promises to do a powerful work in and through us if we would simply humble ourselves and seek his face. That's what this series is all about. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. We're in our final study of this series. Tonight we're going to cover John 17. So if you want to grab your Bibles, open it up to John 17. Some of you know exactly where you're going. Others, when you get there, you'll see this is going to be a prayer of Jesus. Now I have a confession to make before I get started. And that is when you get a group of pastors and teachers into a room together and they start talking about scripture and how we're gonna divide scripture for a series like this and who's gonna cover what portions. And well, it can actually break down and become kind of adolescent very quickly. Now, what I mean by that, so imagine a group of 10 to 12 year old boys and they're sitting there with their football cards, their trading cards. And they've got their little stash, and so they've got their value that they've placed on each one of those cards. And just another confession, the one card I never got as a kid was a Joe Montana rookie card. I've always wanted one. I've never had one. Someday, hopefully, I'll, I'll be able to have one of those. But we all place value on those different cards. And then we start the bartering process. Well, that's like pastors with Scripture, Right, So we're sitting in the room, like, okay, who's going to do the Lord's Prayer? So someone wants to do the Lord's Prayer, okay, what are you going to give me for it? How are you going to, so the, the bartering starts, right? Well, I was in this, and out of the six of us, we're kind of hashing this out, and full disclosure, I showed up to that meeting with the other guys, everyone that's gone before me, and I already had a table with my week picked out, with my topic picked out, and with my portion of scripture. So you could say maybe I cheated a little, but I really wanted to take John 17. And so I kind of made it off limits. Everyone else willingly agreed. They bartered among themselves, and I just sat there and waited for my week, which is where we are now. And so we're in John 17. As we wrap up this series on prayer, we need to really focus in on a particular prayer. And when you look at John 17, many times, and you may even have a a title or a heading there, it says something along the lines of Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is, I think, a pretty natural place to wrap this up. And so through the series, the men that have come before me, they have shared their hearts On the subject of prayer, they've gone where the Lord has taken them and guided them. They've specifically looked at the impact that prayer can have on our lives. And as we, being God's people, choose to pray, there's a very significant impact that can happen. And so tonight, my prayer is that I'm able to do the same. I'm able to share my heart. And like the men before me, I'm going to stand here And I'm going to willingly admit to you that prayer is one of the weakest spiritual disciplines of my life. There are areas that I do very well at. Well, I wouldn't say very well. There are areas I do better at than others. And then there are areas where I'm pretty pitiful. And um, 
this area of consistent prayer, and especially the type of prayer we're going to be discussing this evening, many times I fall short. And so, again, just like a couple of the other guys, this was first directed to me. This is my heart. Understand that I am here working through all of this with each and every one of you. So my relationship with the Lord is, I think, oftentimes, I would say good. But even when it's good, I have to question, is it truly spirit-filled? Because if I'm lacking in prayer, there's a hard, it's, it's difficult to get to that place where I can be spirit-filled if I'm struggling in prayer. And so we're going to go through this uh, tonight, but Jesus modeled prayer all throughout his ministry. He taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, as Mike shared with us a few weeks ago. He demonstrated getting away to seek the Lord on several different occasions. He prayed in the mornings. He prayed in the evenings. He prayed with and for people. He prayed by himself and for himself. He prayed with great emotion. He prayed while walking, while sitting, while laying down. He prayed consistently. And he modeled all of that, not only for his disciples, but for us. The prayer was a vital part of Jesus' ministry and his life here on earth. And so the natural question that many of us have probably asked is why? Why was prayer so important for Jesus if he is in fact God? So why did Jesus have to pray? Why did he have to place such great emphasis on that if he is God? Some of us would say, well, isn't that just kind of like God talking to himself? And in a very simple, I'd say non-biblical answer, you could say yes. It is kind of like Jesus or God was just talking to himself. Because technically, Jesus was talking to himself or the Trinity each time that he prayed. And it's because of his model that I frequently talk to myself. <laughs> yeah, some of you got it. <clears throat> But uh, let me assure you, it's not nearly as comforting when you see me talking to myself as it would be watching Jesus talk to himself. But the simple biblical answer is found in Philippians 2, um, verses 6 through 8. Paul re writes there, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, Jesus was fully God and he was fully human, but he willingly set aside his divine privileges he was fully submitted to the Father's will. And because of this, he was desperate for the intimacy with his Father. He needed to be filled with the divine power in order to carry out his ministry. And the only way to be spirit-filled was to seek constant contact with the Father. When Jesus said, I and my Father are one, back in John 10, it was more than him simply declaring that he is God. We know that there's that underlying tone there, as we'll see even in the passages tonight. But Jesus was saying that he was in full submission to the Father, that his will 
was aligned with the Father's will. And so this is the model that Jesus was laying out for his disciples and for us. We will never be God, thankfully, but we can be so intimately connected to God, we can have our will so aligned with his that through our submission to him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could also at some point say, his will and mine are the same, or my will and the Father's are one. But we cannot do that out of our own strength. And we cannot do that without that intimate, intimate prayer life that Jesus modeled for us. See, as sinful humans, we know we're saved by grace. And this is what we must understand about prayer. It is our lifeline that establishes and maintains a relationship with the Father. It is our lifeline that brings us to a saving faith in Christ. We confess with our mouth. It is our lifeline that connects us with the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live a spirit-filled Christian life apart from prayer. And Jesus modeled that for us. So we're going to take a brief look. And unfortunately, I would love to dive into this. This is you, you guys know that um, there is so much doctrine and theology wrapped up in this prayer that Jesus prays. I'd love to break that all down, but we're going to go through it pretty quickly, staying with the theme of this series and kind of the focus. We want to have a time to respond at the end. So this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible, and it is a reflection of his heart mere hours before he was hung on the cross. He's with his disciples. They've gone through the Last Supper. He's washed their feet. They believe that he's speaking in riddles. He's saying things they don't understand. Judas has already left. And more than likely, here in this instance, or instance they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem at night, and they're on their way to the Garden of Geth Gethsemane. Jesus stops. He looks at them and he says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that's the end of John chapter 16. So after everything else that has been said, he tells them that they're going to abandon him and that they're going to be scattered from one another. That tribulation is coming their way and that he is telling them these things so that when they do happen, they will be at peace in the midst of their tribulation. I can't even imagine what the disciples would actually be going through. This whole night's been a heavy night for him already. And now he lays all of this on them, again, seemingly talking in riddles. And then, while they're standing there somewhat dumbfounded, Jesus spoke these words. John 17, picking up in verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There's no transition. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. He finishes his sentence. He lifts his eyes and he begins praying to the Lord. And at this point, the disciples simply become bystanders. They're watching, they're observing, they're hearing everything that he says. Jesus is opening up a window to his own soul. He's pouring out his own thoughts and desires as he seeks intimacy with his Father. He's providing a glimpse for us as to what prehistory would have been like. When the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were in perfect communion with one another and nothing else had been created, he's offering a glimpse into what that relationship would have been. So I look at this scene in a lot of ways, um, the same as when parents will have certain conversations while their children are present. The conversation doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the children. It doesn't really include the children. They aren't participating in any real way, shape, or form. But the conversation can serve as a reference for them, or it can provide a learning experience for them. I see this kind of in this relationship now as Jesus begins speaking to the Father and the disciples are there. They're observing, they're learning, they're soaking it all in. They don't understand necessarily what's going on. And it's just a good reminder for us that our children can indirectly learn from us as they glean from these types of conversations. And I think that's what ultimately is happening here with the the disciples. I remember as a young man, and I hate even saying that phrase, because when, as soon as I start using that phrase, it's kind of indicating that I'm no longer a young man and I like to think of myself still as a young man. But anyways, as a young man, when I was seeking to be involved in ministry or to get involved in ministry, there were several times early on where I was invited by a pastor or a mentor to attend a particular meeting or to ride along on a hospital visit or to go to someone's home for a, a discussion and a meal And I was invited simply to just sit and observe. I wasn't contributing. I wasn't playing a role in any of the things that were going on. But I was learning from what was happening. I was learning from the experience. I was gleaning bits and pieces from each one of those times. And I was depositing those experiences into my memory that I would then later on be able to draw on. And I've been able to draw on those things throughout the last couple decades as I've served the Lord. And so this is what's happening for the disciples. This is the context. This is why Jesus chose to pray this prayer in this manner and at this time. He just told his disciples that they were going to abandon him, that they were going to be scattered, but that they should somehow find peace through all of this. His life is about to fall apart. His earthly life is about to come crashing down. 
His hour has come. He said that at the beginning of the prayer. He's at peace in the midst of this turmoil. His disciples are gleaning, whether they know it or not. And this prayer is something that we would be able to fall back on as well. This prayer is something, or excuse me, that they could fall back on. It's also something that you and I can fall back on. We can come to this prayer. We should be gleaning from the things that Jesus says here. We are given a window into the intimacy between the Father and the Son. But we are told that we too can have a similar intimacy with the Father. So that is what we should be pursuing. So there are several things that I want to glean from this prayer. We can't necessarily say the same things that Jesus says. He makes some some deity statements that we're not going to be able to mimic or, or repeat. But he does lay out a model and we can seek the intimacy that he also has with his Father. So the disciples are blessed by the prayer of Jesus. And this would be the first thing I'd say we, we can start gleaning. The disciples were blessed by the prayer of Jesus. Now I don't mean that they're receiving a blessing necessarily or that they are actually any part of the prayer. Both of those things could have some truth to them, but they are simply blessed by being in the presence of a wonderful prayer, of hearing the words, of seeing the intimacy, of experiencing this. And this is true for each one of us. By reading this prayer, we should be blessed. It should speak to our soul and it should bring us comfort. But when we are in the presence of someone who has the gift of prayer, man, can't that impact our lives. We here as a congregation, we have some serious prayer warriors. And I say that and many of you immediately have names come to mind. People that have battled for you in the form of prayer. Now let it be known, I am not one of those amazing prayer warriors. I don't have the spiritual gift of prayer. I'm happy to pray with you. I'm happy to pray for you. But most of the time I'm tripping over my own words and my own thoughts. And at the end of it, I'm only hoping that God and you understood my heart was pure in in the pursuit. So I am not, and I don't label myself as a prayer warrior, but we have a congregation that has the gift of prayer. And we are blessed just by hearing what others have to say when they pray to the Father. See, when we do our week of prayer events, and remember there's one coming up next week, 7 p.m. Monday night. There's another plug. Many of those nights as I'm preparing myself, I start thinking about Who's going to show up? And there's always some names in my mind. It's like, man, I hope they show up. I hope they show up because I know that the Lord is going to inspire them to say something that's going to impact my life. I can turn anything personal. I can turn anything selfish. And that's kind of what I just did there. But no, I hope you understand the point. The point is that there are certain people that when you are just in their presence as they pray, it is a blessing to everyone who hears it. And we have that congregation. We are blessed to be in the presence of people that are earnestly praying and seeking the Lord. And then the other flip side of that, and this is the part where some of us may not realize and you need to be careful in in, um, honoring this, but we can also be a blessing to those people. 
When we pray in a corporate setting, we need to understand that that is potentially a blessing for everybody, not just for ourselves. So there's a, a both, both end here. So these are real blessings that the Lord has given us. This is one of the most significant reasons that we as the body of Christ are to gather together. And remember this, when you show up and when you participate and when you are, or remember that, that you are a blessing to others. Whether you think so or not, whether anyone ever tells you or not, if you are praying and seeking the Lord on behalf of others and in their presence, you are a blessing. If someone has blessed you through their prayer, tell them, encourage them, share that with one another so we know that we are blessing one another. So through Jesus' prayer, we do see that it's okay to pray for ourselves. And this would be the second thing to glean. Because a lot of times we spend so much time placing emphasis on it's easy to pray for our own needs, but there's so many other things that we should be praying for. And we've spent time even through the last six weeks really emphasizing that. But there are times where it is okay to pray for ourselves. And it's not seen as selfish. So through his prayer, we see that he prays for himself. But notice that there is a balance and there is an order to what Jesus is praying for. So, again, John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is asking to be glorified, but he is providing explanation for his request. He's asking to be glorified because the hour has come. And through his glorification, he will be able to continue to glorify the Father. He can and will glorify the Father. He finished his work. He was ready to go home. He was ready to be back in the presence of the Father as they were, as I mentioned, in prehistory. So he lays out his request and he gives a bunch of reasons why. We shouldn't make our prayers just simply wish lists. When we are gonna pray for ourselves, it isn't just a, a flippant kind of thing. It isn't just a, a Christmas list of desires. Or No, they should be more focused than that. When we are praying for ourselves, We should have a little thought put into it. There should be an order and some explanation as we see here with Jesus. When we pray, we are entering the presence of the King, of Yahweh, of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So we should come to him with a little thought and a little preparation with order. Now, don't misunderstand. There's also a time and a place 
for prayers of pure desperation. Times when we enter into God's presence and we have no idea what to say. Times when all we can do is blubber and cry. But if every single time we pray, that's what happens, blubbering and crying, I'm gonna suggest that prayer either isn't happening enough or the motivation behind prayer is an emotional experience and not an intimacy with the Father. And the reason I say that, let's take a look at the next portion of Jesus' prayer. Verse six, it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus here is transitioning away from himself, and he's going to start praying for his disciples. And that will start in verse nine. But here in these two verses, or these three verses, he's just kind of talking to God. There is no request He hasn't gotten to the intercessory part of his prayer yet. There's no blubbering and crying. He's just filling in some of the details. Details that his father already knows, but Jesus is having this conversation because of the desire for intimacy. There's no blubbering, and again, I use that as a term of endearment. There's no desperation. There's no pleading. There's no crying. We know that those things will come even for Jesus. See, when they actually get to the garden and he begins to pray there, he begins to sweat blood and he begins to plead and he begins to blubber and cry. And there's a desperation and the crying and all of those things. They are there even for Jesus. But here in this setting, in this particular prayer and in this type of intimacy, those things were set aside. When we look at these three verses, we see that it actually seems like a rather casual conversation. And we see that Jesus simply enjoys and desires having a conversation with his father. So my son Rowdy is five years old. He just started kindergarten today. And that was freaky for me because when we moved here, he had just turned a year old. So we've been here you know, four years now and boom, he's, he's starting school and He's a wrecking machine. But he, he loves animals. And there's a couple different shows that he watches or there's apps that he plays where he is constantly gaining knowledge and learning facts about animals. And so his natural then inclination is to just spew that information to anyone who will listen, especially to you know, me or, or Holly or one of his um, sisters. But so much so that if he shares a fact... With anyone of us, uh, we pretty much take him at his word. Like, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to challenge it. He's telling me something about animals. It's got to be true because Rowdy said it. He retains the information. He's passionate about it. And he wants, like I said, to share it with anybody who will listen. Some of you have experienced this. And you've not been able to get out of conversations with him. But the question is, why does he do this? Why does he say the same thing over and over again to the same people? 
It's because he desperately wants to interact with the people that he loves. It doesn't matter if it's the same information over and over again. It doesn't matter if every fact or detail is even 100% accurate. The point is the intimacy in this mundane experience. The intimacy of the mundane. The comfortability of repetition. The joy of sharing passions with one another. And when I think about this, I have to kind of stop and personally reflect. And I'd say shame on me when I start to look at those conversations as repetitive and boring because I miss them for what they really are. When I place value based on new and fresh material, like don't tell me about a great white shark anymore, go tell me about something new. When I start placing it on that, it's no longer about the intimacy, it's about the information. It's no longer about the relationship, it's about the information. I, as his father, should love those conversations just simply because I am in his presence and he desires to be in my presence. And I think that's what happens in these portions of prayer. When we see in these verses where there's nothing really going on, Jesus is just kind of recapping some of the day-to-day things. He's recapping some of the points of his ministry. And this element of prayer, the intimacy of the mundane, this is what Jesus is really revealing in those portions or in these verses. And if I'm honest with you, this is where my prayer life is greatly lacking. Just having a conversation with the Lord. Telling him about my day. Telling him the thoughts that I'm wrestling with or the dreams that I have or maybe the fears that I'm experiencing. The information that he already knows but he's willing to hear it from us over and over and over again because he simply seeks that intimacy with us. And I think this is the heart behind the exhortation to pray without ceasing. It's to be able to find the intimacy in those mundane details. It's the ability to share and talk with the Lord and commune with him just like we would with a close friend or a child or a spouse. See, basically, the the whole idea is just having casual conversations with the Lord. This is a casual conversation right in the midst of Jesus praying for himself and he's gonna transition to praying for his disciples. But right here, he's simply casually talking with the Lord. He's filling him in and we should be filling him in on the details of our life. I think, always think of this when I, when I come to this portion of scripture and I'm talking about kind of this detail, I think of instant messenger and you know, especially AOL instant messenger you know, 20 years ago. And you, know, you laugh, but some of you still have AOL and I say shame on you if you still have AOL. But if you still, no, I won't talk about it anymore. But AOL instant messenger, like when that first came out and everything that's come after it, There are those certain people that you just desire to share everything with. And so you're on the apps all the time and you're talking back and forth and you're sharing just the mundane details of life and it doesn't matter. That's what we should do with our Father. The intimacy of the mundane. If we really want to increase our prayer life, 
these conversations first need to happen. But then I want to challenge you, pray them out loud. See, for me, the easiest way to fall asleep is to start praying in my mind or silently. As soon as I do that, I can get distracted. I can go right to sleep. But if I start praying the mundane things out loud, if I start speaking out loud, people might think I'm crazy. But that's okay because I'm communing with the Father. But again, in all seriousness, Jesus is here praying out loud. And there is something about remaining focused when praying out loud that is a benefit to our prayer lives. So even, you know, maybe you put headphones in and you're walking when you pray or you're sitting downstairs or however it is or wherever it is that you pray, try some of that out loud if you don't and see if it impacts your own prayer life. So verse nine, Jesus transitions to praying for his disciples. says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray <clears throat> that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He knows what is about to happen. He's already told them that they were going to be scattered and leave him. And now in their presence, he is praying this for them. He is literally standing with them, but praying as if he is no longer in their midst. He's asking the Father to keep them as they are still in the world. There is so much doctrine and theology, as I said, wrapped up in this prayer but our one takeaway for right now is Jesus is praying specifically for his disciples is that Jesus is asking the Father to keep his disciples. They were given to Jesus as a gift from the Father. Now Jesus is asking that the Father continue to preserve them while they remain in the world. Jesus also asks that his disciples be sanctified while they have been sent out into the world. Jesus knew that the disciples that their work was just getting started, that they needed to get through this dark time of the present, and that everything that they had learned, everything that they had experienced with him, all of those things were going to culminate in what they had been called to do. This is a form of intercessory prayer like we talked about last week. But there's a very specific tone behind what Jesus is doing. And it's a tone and a model that we can follow as we pray for one another. God has called each believer to a specific 
purpose. He's gifted each one of us with particular gifts that are necessary to fulfill that specific calling. And here Jesus is praying that God keeps the disciples in the midst of the world, that they would not fall back into the world, that they would remain sanctified or set apart so that they were able to complete that work that God had called them to. So we should be praying for one another in this same manner. Pray for one another to be kept from the distractions and the temptations and the evils of the world. Pray for one another to be sanctified, to be set apart for the purpose that God has called each of us to. Pray for the gifts of the Spirit to manifest themselves in each of our lives so that we are able to complete the work that God has called us to. And then the final part of Jesus' prayer is directed at all believers. Notice he anticipates the success of the disciples in their calling, and he anticipates that God is in fact going to keep them. In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. See, Jesus concludes his prayer anticipating the work of the Lord, proclaiming the success of the gospel, and with a cry of unity for all of his believers. He speaks of the unity between the Father and himself, and he desires the same unity with his followers, both with him and with one another. We see the heart of this prayer echoed throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We, as the body of Christ, are to love one another and be united with one another in the same way the Father and the Son are united. It is through our love for one another that the world will know Jesus. Our love for one another is what others are able to witness. It is the tangible and the obtainable element that can draw someone out of the world and into the kingdom. So when we pray for one another, we pray for unity. We pray for love in our diversity, understanding that each of us are given different roles and responsibilities, that each of us have different gifts and talents or different quirks and characteristics, that we all have different experiences and dispositions, and that we can all be used by God for his specific purposes, to further his kingdom, but only, only if we remain in unity and in love with him and with one another. So as we wrap up this series, we have to ask ourselves, 
What do we take away? What is the big takeaway of these six weeks? How do I allow everything that we discussed to change or impact my life? I think the first thing that we have to realize is that we didn't even begin to scratch the surface of what the Bible says about prayer. Our focus was very, very narrow. And the heart behind this series was to draw each one of us closer to God through our prayer lives. So we really wrap up today, here and now, where we started six weeks ago with Pastor Ryan. When God's people pray, we are sharing with him the most intimate and relational setting that we can be in this side of glory. We can't get any closer to the Father than when we are engaged in intimate prayer. When God's people pray, we can receive the power of the Holy Spirit and we find the Father waiting for us. When God's people pray, we bless one another. When God's people pray, we demonstrate faith. We demonstrate humility. We demonstrate obedience. When God's people pray, we intercede on behalf of one another. And when God's people pray, that's when we truly have intimacy with the Father. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.